silently in the night with and you have no idea why out here in Goanis it's the bell house in Brooklyn and that's where we're shooting live here tonight the smartest man in the world podcast we have water we have vodka kittens McTavish is here if you're just joining us for the first time and you're in northern Europe near the Benelux countries I want to welcome you you know the rivers in your country are so picturesque and all those little houses you make out of glass and whatnot and give to people whenever they go there even if they don't want them I adore it uh, what is it, chocolate? Good for you! Everyone loves chocolate. You picked a good thing. You know, like Jamaica picked a good thing. <laughs> Belgium picked a good thing. Belgium, what we're gonna do three things mussels, french fries, chocolate, and beer. That's four. Oops! <laughs> and we're not gonna have anyone famous except what's his name? Magritte. <laughs> really, you're gonna start the show by diminishing Belgians' famous people? I'm just saying, name another famous Belgian person who's not fictional, and I will fucking leap into the crowd and performing Iggy Pop right on you. Van Damme. Van Damme. Who was it? Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme, fuck. I can't. It's too early in the show. I'll get injured. I know what'll happen. I know what'll happen. My, my man bag will take someone's eye out, and the next thing you know, seriously... Someone from this neighborhood will own the bell house And it won't be a club anymore Because when the lawsuit happens and they buy the place They're just going to turn it into a storage tank For all their fucking DVDs But thank you for that uh, Yeah, Jean-Claude Van Damme Okay, he's famous and he's Belgium And he's doing the splits And, uh, and he's awesome I think my favorite one of all of his movies uh, Is uh, if we can just dive right in To why this show remains In the middle of the pack when discussing the oeuvre of Jean-Claude Van Damme, <laughs> let's take some things into consideration. First of all, in no way is it random Jean-Claude Van Damme's thrust as a filmmaker. I think from the very outset, he had an agenda. And that agenda was not just to thrill you, but to fucking dazzle you with a backward fucking spinning bicycle kick. If he could scissor kick someone backward in a parking lot, uh, in a little movie called Street Fighter, uh, which I believe is my favorite one, what happens, the plot is like this. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's in this movie, and you're high. And then he kicks a lot of guys in the head and shit, and then the rich person at one point lights a cigarette and goes, <laughs> and then the movie's over, and then the credits roll. It's really good. And it's a lot like almost all of his other movies. The other one that I really like is called Final Moments, or Tiny Seconds, or Infinitesimal Countdowns, or uh, Almost to the End. I can't remember the name of it, but Powers Booth is in it. And uh, yeah, fucking, let's just take a minute and He's not dead, but I want to spill some anyway. That's how awesome Powers Booth is. If anyone ever saw the show Deadwood, you'll remember Power Booth, uh, the, uh, the owner of the rival saloon to the gem. What was his... Co- God damn it, I've dropped the name. He, yeah. 
And he wore a giant hat. And his girlfriend, his would-be girlfriend, was Joni. The problem with having girlfriend, uh, his girlfriend being Joni was, one, she was a prostitute, and two, not very hetero. And uh, he would go like this through the whole series. He'd have a giant hat on, and he'd go, Joni. Because that's how Powers Booth delivers lines. And uh, it's the hockey one. Does anyone remember the name of it? Sudden Death. Uh, Sudden Death. I like mine better. I like Tiny Countdown or whatever. Jean-Claude Van Damme hasn't much time left, but his English is fractured. Tiny Countdown. Quatre, trois, two, mailed. Tiny Countdown. Is this the one where he gets killed? There's no tension in a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. They observe the Aristotelian unities almost strictly, perhaps more strictly than any other artist, in so much as in the hero's journey, you know that hubris will bring down the bad guy. But secondly, the good guy's not going to die. There's no movie that ends with Jean-Claude Van Damme's head on a pike being carried over the parapets of a garage after a street fight. And more is the pity, because that one is called uh, um, Spit Take, and it's awesome. <laughs> yes, Jean-Claude Van Damme is Belgian and famous. The, the smartest crowd in the world has trumped me once again. And I tip my metaphoric, were I to wear a hat ever, I tip it to you. I shan't, because, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> don't touch, don't touch. I'm killborning, don't touch it. <laughs> Thanksgiving, as you know, is a holiday uh, that's celebrated. It's the uh, anniversary of when uh, Jesus gave birth to a a giant poultry uh, that helped sustain everyone in America. Um, And and, uh, it's known popularly as Turkey Day, and quite right, because turkeys invented it uh, in the 1500s, before the pilgrims got here. uh, And then when the pilgrims arrived, aside from bumming everyone out, uh, they uh, attended a ceremony where there were poultry dancing in a circle, uh, having eaten some corn that had mold on it. And so the turkeys were tripping their wattles off at that point, and they were no longer the stupid animals that open their mouths in the rain and die of drowning, but rather had become an informed group of uh, psilocybin-taking, well, rather corn-moldy-taking, tripodelic fucking birds. So there was no more of the... Instead, they were like, dude... That's flashing. And then the other guy would go, I don't think it's flashing so much as your head keeps moving back and forth. Uh, And then the other turkey would go like, is that a guy with a buckle? Um, Because I smell a bummer, a borning. We've talked about Thanksgiving on the show many times. We're not going to go into the actual what happened on Thanksgiving. I prefer uh, the turkey version. And uh, uh, I had turkey this year. We flew on Thanksgiving Day, which was an awesome day to fly. The thing about the news is that's so awesome when you watch it is you can be guaranteed it's like talking to your worst best friend. You know what I mean? Whatever the news is telling you is some fucked up shit that's going to hurt you. Uh, and, right. And, and you're like, oh, really? And then the news is over and you're like, fuck, okay, I'll just deal. Um, there was bad weather, right, all around the Thanksgiving holiday. So the news acted like um, the world had ended and that Brad Pitt was in charge. It was that movie. It was Zombie Force Z or whatever that's called. And the king of Zombie Force Z met up with a lot of other people from Walking Dead and every other zombie post-apocalyptic thing. And you were not, you were not, not only were you not to fly, you were not to leave your home, nor to consider leaving your home until Black Friday began. Uh, at which point you were supposed to reach into your pocket and delve into your child's orthodonture or your future rent, more like in this room. Uh, LAUGHTER 
You're, you, were, you were supposed to deep, dip deep into next month's weed supply and fucking go shopping for a bunch of people that are peripheral to your emotional life. And that would be just as happy if you showed up and didn't wear a hat this year. Thank you, brother. Gentle laughter. We're going to get there. We're going to get to a full-throated laugh. No. You know the thing about me is my dick's huge. First of all, it's cold. Second of all, you've been outside for ages. Third, you haven't even sunk the first fucking drink. So I know where we stand on this. And you're thinking, no. First of all, we've been in for a while. Second of all, we've had to listen to your funk music for 25 fucking minutes. And third of all, I've paid too much for two fucking drinks right now. What I'm waiting for is a Jean-Claude Van Damme good fucking joke around here. Instead of a lot of fiddle-faddle, hip-dee-doo, and skippity-dippit that you consider some kind of fucking show, and then you complain that people in the Benelux countries aren't giving you enough fucking... Amor, or whatever they call it there. The people who speak whatever language they speak there, Flemish. Uh, so we flew on Thanksgiving. No lines, no line of security, no one on the plane. Fucking the plane got here a half hour early, you guys. So, so much for the fucking apocalypse and shit. Uh, really, never trust anything on the news. Text your friend, I think, really. Text your friend. If they go, oh, my God, uh, New York's on fire. Don't want to go outside. There's a comet that's... Luminescent people are walking up and down the street showing their pudenda to everyone everywhere. And there's, you've got a hair in your mouth and you can't get it out. It's at the back of your tongue and you're like, ha, ha, ha. That's happening to everyone in the country right now at once. Don't go outside or you'll get a hair too. The cicadas. The cicadas. There's two of them laying in a ditch, weeb feebly rubbing their back legs together, hoping for a Stravinsky-like symphony with and I'm moving Kansas toward North Dakota now and I'm moving Florida towards Missouri and the East Coast is they think by having a Tom Cruise and Minority Report map that they're gonna fucking sex you up with news and shit like that Virginia's second district just finished voting and shit oh I see if you went like this it would make you effeminate and studious but by going like this you're macho it's as if you're moving your cock across the screen and moving fucking Missouri with a giant bullet alright I'm sorry I said Missouri I've been on Missouri's dick all fucking year and there's no reason for it there's a gig for me in Jefferson City and I know that the New York crowd what's Jefferson City Greg where the grass is green and the girls are pretty oh won't you please take me home Take me to the stake and shake. Wow. Take me down. <laughs> so don't believe it. We ended last week's show. Let's start with that NM's corrections. First of all, let's get into the gifts here tonight. People have been so unbelievably generous. This is my third or fourth time in Brooklyn. If I could count or had any short-term memory, I'd remember. Uh, and I want to thank everybody for the books that I was given tonight and all of the gifts. There was the gift of uh, what they like to call the cron cron cronies uh, that makes your eyes go sideways and, and you have Snoop on redial. Thank you for that. Uh, I've also received uh, Dan Epstein's awesome book about the 70s uh, baseball movement called Big Hair and Plastic Grass. This is my wheelhouse. I was 10 to 20 during this era. Everyone in the crowd, wow. We didn't realize we were coming to see fucking Cosby tonight. Um, <laughs> And you know, the thing is, you sit on the couch and watch some baseball. So my son came up to me. Cosby's a fucking genius. Someone say stop. 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 
Uh, one could have argued that the outfield of Oliver Ritchie Zisk and Dave Parker was also the key to the Pirates' success story. Oliver posted one of the lowing batting, lowest batting averages of career. Da 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 da. Elsewhere in the division, wait, where's the drugs? Uh, oh, there, there! Someone just yelled. Uh, this has the Doc Ellis uh, no hitter on acid in it. This has. Uh, uh, the beginning of the Coke burgeoning era of uh, baseball. In the 70s, mostly house drunks and uh, potheads. Uh, and um, an insane use of uh, Benzedrine and uh, other amphetamines that they found. Greenies, I believe they were called. Uh, it's a very good book. And there was lots of plastic grass then. And the Giants wore a uniform that had, uh, was completely orange with a cursive black on it. And Willie McCovey, who was in his late... 30s, early 40s, when he returned to the Giants, was a little bit heftier than he had been. And nothing says yes to a man in his middle ages physique than orange polyester with no belt or buckles on it whatsoever. Simply the clinginess that polyester, and let's be honest, the attendant sweaty smell that polyester brings to every man in the world. It really isn't the most pleasant of. Uh, and there were some thought players. Wilbur Wood played in the 70s for the White Sox and was ginormous, like David Wells, like Boomer ginormous. And the Houston Astros wore what was described by many people as a potato chip bag because it was like glorious orange, yellow, goldenrod, red, yellow, brown, and it said Astros with a flaming fucking comet star leading it toward Flavorville where Guy Fieri was waiting with flip-flops and horribly dyed hair to bum you out by eating an entire submarine sandwich anus first. Thank you for that book. Vada Blue, Catfish Hunter, Catfish Hunter. When, some, when the vicissitudes of life befall you, when you find that uh, 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 you can no longer go on, uh, when, you, when you sense that the, the cosmic gods have aligned against you and that this is going to be a horrible triple bar with Nick Lowe, it's important to remember the words of Catfish Hunter. First of all, his name was Jim Hunter. Charlie Finley, who owned the Oakland Athletics, gave everyone a nickname on the team. He gave Catfish the name Catfish, even though Catfish wasn't called Catfish by anybody. So he adopted the nickname Catfish, possibly for money. Uh, Vida, he wanted to call True Blue. Yeah. Vida Blue's name was Vida Blue, and he wanted to call him True Blue. And Vida Blue went, no, fuck you, Blue. <laughs> Vida is a cool enough name. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you know anyone named Vida. No one knows anyone named Vida. No, one, no, no white guy's named Life. Um... <laughs> Hey, what's up, life? Cool. What do you mean? Everything, man. As long as I'm breathing, ain't nobody blue. Uh, in any case, uh, Catfish Hunter once said after a game when he got shelled, uh, the reporter said, what did you think about your performance today? And he said, the sun doesn't shine on the same dog's ass every day. <laughs> it's imperative to remember wisdom like that. This is a book by Mark Kirkman called Ready for a Brand New Beat. How Dancing in the Street Became the Anthem for a Changing America. Someone say stop. Stop. In hindsight, it was probably the Democratic Party that made the mistake. (laughs) Oh, waiter. God, does this seem familiar. What year did Dancing in the Street come out? I'm going to say 66, but it might have been 65. What is it? 64, it says here. 64, Marvin Gaye, Mickey Hutt, Stevenson, and Motown songwriter Ivy Joe Hunter wrote Dancing in the Street. My sister had the single, and I remember uh, playing it on 45 uh, with the Motown label, spinning around, and uh, uh, wow, yeah. 64 was a... 
was the last great Democratic landslide when Lyndon Baines Johnson smoked Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater ran an ad that had a little girl looking at a flower and playing in the bushes, and then a giant nuclear bomb went off, and there was a mushroom cloud behind her, and they went, Goldwater, go for it if you want. (laughs) And, yeah. So Johnson won, like, every fucking state except Arizona, where Barry Goldwater's from. In hindsight, as this book would have said, Barry Goldwater looks like a liberal now compared to the fucking Republican Party of the year 2013, where we have uh, Ted Cruz and other people who we'll get to in the boring preaching part. Uh, The Democratic Party that made the mistake, the South was already lost, and there were other supporters now at risk. Because by 68 came the, uh, 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 you know, George Wallace ran, and then then it was full on. Then everything split. Then 72 was the white backlash, then 76 was Carter, and now here we are. Uh, you've skipped a bunch of years. What happened in the intervening time? You fucking know. <laughs> in the South and the North, the black man is losing confidence in the intentions of the federal government. Mm. Nothing's changed there. The seating in the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party would have gone a long way toward restoring faith. Da, da, da. Wow. When Dancing in the Streets was first released, the Beatles' A Hard Day's Night was number one on the Billboard chart. By August 15th, Dancing in the Street was a hot up-and-coming record. Oh, that's awesome. Overtaking the Supremes, who dropped to number 19. Indicative of the interests of Motown, (laughs) says Mark Kurlansky. Indicative of the interests of Motown with Martha and the Vandals on the rise. The studio ran a full-page ad for the descending Supremes on the page opposite the chart. On October 17th, Dancing in the Street was number two. Number one was Doo-Wah Diddy Diddy, the British Manfred Mann's cover in the American song. Wow. You guys know that one? Uh, Manfred Mann it went like this uh, There she was Just walking down the street Singing do right. Exactly <laughs> She looked good. Look good She looked fine. Look fine She looked good She looked fine And I'm gonna make her mine Yeah, it was a good song That song had every right to be number one Fucking A uh, a couple of quick things, and then we'll move on. Thank you for those books, and also another book called Born for Liberty. The Chronicle of Women in America is so interesting, informative, and engagingly written, I found myself unable to put it down until I had completed it, said Margaret Sipley Smith. And that's a brilliant name, because it's S-I-P-P-L-E-E. I love extra consonants and vowels. Of course. Uh, Greensboro News and Record Well done, her. Thank you for those books Thank you for everything you guys gave me tonight uh, Thank you for the card Thank you for the postcards uh, You're most generous I, I honestly um, uh, stand If I had humility in my repertoire I would stand I'm joking God damn it, you guys Last week we closed the show with movie goddesses And I left a few off And it was uh, not, it brought to my attention almost immediately Just to recapitulate Eartha Kitt at Catcher uh, the starting pitcher was Julie Newmar, Catwoman. Uh, at first base, we had... Uh, I can't read my own writing. God, I hate my life. Um, Claudia Cardinal. At second base, Marilyn Monroe. In, in right field, Raquel Welch. Center field was Pam Greer. Shortstop was Rita Hayworth. Ali McGraw on left. Uh, Veronica Lake at third. We had Sigourney Weaver managing because she can... Oh, yeah. I think you remember the scene in Aliens where uh, he gives her the gun and he shows her the thing and he no, she goes, show me everything. I can handle myself. And Matt Bynes playing the intergalactic Marine goes, yeah, I noticed. <laughs> By the way, that's the highest praise a man can give in a movie. <laughs> to a woman who's about to kick ass on everyone on Earth and shit. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> what about me and my needs? What about my ego and my male member? 
There's gonna be a couple more minutes in this movie, right, where all that happens? <laughs> Fuck, there's not. Shit. <laughs> I had Claudine Agere uh, DHing. She's the girl from uh, um, Thunderball. Uh, Sophia Lauren, I forgot to put on the team. Uh, yeah, someone in the back just went, ah! Um, I don't know how the field is not made of Sophia Loren. <laughs> Let me put it this way. The earth is Sophia Loren, and everything that's come out of her thighs, we owe to her. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what about her acting? <laughs> she has an Oscar. She's okay. She's a good actor. Absolutely stunning. Uh, Bridget Bardot was pitcher, by the way, in case you were wondering. Right? Yeah, no, we had Bridget Bardot because uh, she brings. Uh, I wanted to add a couple others. Uh, Catherine uh, Deneuve and Jacqueline Bissett. I'm sure you guys have zillions of others that I've forgotten about. You know who I forgot? Tamara Dobson I want as designated runner. Tamara Dobson played Cleopatra Jones in the movie Cleopatra Jones. And by the way, thank you for the movies you gave me tonight, uh, person who gave me the movies. Does anyone remember Cleopatra Jones? She calls into her, her lieutenant. She's a tall black detective with a fur coat on and a miniskirt and kicking boots. And she goes, uh, uh, oh, I just got beat up or whatever. And he goes, how's your body? And she goes, it's all right. And he goes, it's fantastic. <laughs> My wife and I were in our hotel room last night. We had Thanksgiving dinner, as I said, and uh, we had Italian food, but I had turkey to keep it real. Um, there was dark meat. I don't know how many dark meat people are out there. I mean, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'll go dark meat. You know what? When you're eating dark meat, you think you're in a Victor Hugo novel and shit, right? You get that whole game rat feel thing going on, you know, like, I shouldn't be eating this, it's forbidden Turk. Like a white person in a Norman Rockwell painting would eat the white meat and go, Mom, I'll have the breast. Golly, we're, we're going to go play some touch football later until the priest comes by. <laughs> but the dark meat, you're like, Mmm, there's a killer on the road. There's a killer on the road. Right? All of a sudden, Thanksgiving's different and shit. The door to the basement, it's... Never been open before. <laughs> I smell apples. No. The last time there were apples in the basement was Granny put them up in 1974. <laughs> Granny's been dead these last 18 years. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme is Granny in Grandmare giving to songs. <laughs> Shut your fat one. <laughs> he came out of the stuffing and no one knew he was there. <laughs> we came home last night and uh, we were having a little bottle of wine as you do in the room and um, my wife turned on the TV and it was on PBS. Now normally I wouldn't watch PBS because uh, I, you know, right, I didn't go to Montessori school so I'm not down. <laughs> But, uh, can we form a human chain to the bar to get, may I have a vodka flavored vodka drink if there's any? Thank you. I have money and I, I have books that I can re-gift. I'm joking. I'd never give these away. I'm going to read these. Yes, please. I'll have what the drunk lady ordered. I'm the drunk man and I'll have what the drunk lady ordered. 
And so my wife turned on the telly, and uh, 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 as Prince said, you turn on the telly, and every other story is telling you that someone died. Time. Been a nose when the rocket ship explodes, and everybody wants to keep on flying. Man, man, let's mount truly die. Oh, time. Uh, yeah. Sound of the time melted your mind. Oh, yeah. Fucking Prince in those days. Housequake already. Damn. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and it was PBS, and they were showing, and I'm. I don't care. I don't fucking care. They were showing Barbara Streisand back in Brooklyn. And I don't thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Oh, what's that? It's a gift. Oh, golly, that's a funny. Thank you. Oh, okay. Thank you, Thank you for that. Very kind of you. There's going to be. There, we won't edit. <laughs> I think we leave everything in, right? Thank you. I'm just going to dump that in a bigger glass of uh, tailgate style, if that's okay with everybody. I'm sure. Oh, very kind of you. Oh, my goodness. Those, those look good. Uh, so I'm watching Barbara Streisand back in Brooklyn. Thank you so much. Uh, and, like, she looks... So, the lighting and the makeup and the hair and the costuming had all conspired to make her look as if her face was a featureless plane (laughs) where only smoothness could be detected. And at no point would, say, a nose or a chin or a chest interrupt the flow of creamy goodness. Love, soft as an easy chair. Love, ageless and evergreen. That's what was going on. Um, she no longer had the Ron Perlman Beauty and the Beast thing going. <laughs> she looked fabulous, but there was so much highlighting and lighting and shit that it was beyond awesome. Uh, she's 71 now, and so my, uh, my rejoinder to you when I say Barbara Streisand is, um, at 71, you should be so fucking lucky to be sitting on a stool drinking tea in front of an audience. Because <laughs> she did just that. But Greg, Barbara Streisand... We don't know who she is. Our parents have talked about her. <laughs> Won't you please put it in perspective? There's people in Luxembourg and Liechtenstein and all those countries who, who wonder uh, about this Barbara Streisand you speak of. Barbara Streisand, for your information, in the 60s and 70s, strode the earth like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> in the early 80s, she donned a pair of hot shorts and a perm and got it going with Ryan O'Neill in a movie called The Main Event, uh, where there was exercising that included her bending over and showing her butt to the camera at the top of the movie. Um, She dominated the earth, uh, and there's no other way to describe it. Then later, she was a Jewish uh, man in a movie called Yentl. There is no explanation for this movie. Later in her 40s, she played a prostitute in a movie called Nuts. You heard me, Nuts. When I was a child, she won the Oscar, and she wore a see-through pantsuit and a chignon. Yeah, she wore a see-through pantsuit, a bell-bottomed, uh, open-toed-heeled, sandaled pantsuit, and, and I believe she split the Oscar with Katherine Hepburn. Someone will back me up. Someone has a phone. Yeah, 69. 69, right? She won Lion and Winner, and Barbara won for Funny Girl. Jeff, I've... 
I wanted to play the Pixies first before we played anything tonight, but I can see the show is completely out of my control at this point. <laughs> and that while the audience is wondering when the entertainment's going to kick in, I'm going to ask you to look up on the iPod the one Barbara Streisand song that I have. I am not gay, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> However, tonight, I surrender to you in your indictment of me because I make zero case for being hetero by having this song on my iPod. I don't have shitloads of Barbara on. I don't have Color Me Barbara. I don't have My Name is Barbara. I don't have any of the later shit. I don't have any of the duets. I don't have It's Raining, It's Falling with Donna Summer, even though that's a fucking awesome one. <laughs> it's raining. It's falling. My love life... What is it? Well, it's raining. It's pouring. My love life is boring me to tears. That one was good. When you put Donna Summer and uh, Barbara Streisand together, you're building a pyramid in Central America made of gay people. <laughs> The difference between Barbara Streisand and Donna Summers is Donna Summers was uncool uh, uh, a lot of the time about it. She was a little bit Christian about her fucking uh, gay following, whereas Barbara, I think, has always embraced it in so much as in the middle of the show last night, she brought her son, Jordan, Jason, Jason Gould on stage and he sang a duet with her. And then at the end of it, she went, I'm so proud of you. And he went, are you okay? Do you want anything? Is anyone Jewish in the crowd here? Because, wow. Wow. I don't want to say that the whole crowd was Jewish couples in their 60s and 70s. But there was more hand-holding. Let me put it this way. More Jewish scoopus was thrown over after that concert happened. Oh, yeah. There was more hand-holding in when she went, love, soft as an easy chair. You saw couples look at each other like this. They hadn't looked at each other that way in 25 years. Not since the last time you made Kishka the way I fucking like it and wore that blue top. Yeah, and wore the blue top. The blue top. That's the one I like when you wear to Temple. Not the other one. It was good. Have you found it yet? Jeff? Jeff, did you fuck off? It's from Funny Girl. Tremendous. Uh, Jewel Stein, uh, the immortal Jewel Stein. What, uh, it's an amazing musical. Uh, she deserved the Oscar for it. When you watch the movie now, there's parts that drag, but Omar Sharif is in it, and he plays a Jew. Now, again, if there's any Jews in the crowd here tonight, Omar Sharif is from Egypt. He is not Jewish. Not that there are Jews from Egypt. He's not one of them. He's like a prince or something. He's from some royal family, and Omar Sharif speaks like this. Oh, Fanny. Fanny. And if you're listening in England right now, this is the funniest dialogue you've ever heard. Because Fanny might as well be pussy. Oh, pussy. 
Fanny, you are so funny. Ha, 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 ha. And she's like this. <laughs> the thing, good. Barbara Streisand crossed her eyes more than any actress who won an Oscar that year. <laughs> well, if you want me to, I will. <laughs> Fantastic. Anyway, the concert was great, and uh, I wouldn't buy it. I mean, it was $150. I mean, you get a cookbook or whatever. I don't know what you get. We watched it for like seven hours. There was people pitching it. And fantastically, rather than have Barbara on, they had a guy who looked like Michael Feinstein who knew Barbara. Because it was PBS. Yeah, he had tinted shades. He looked kind of like me. And uh, he looked like if Michael Musto and I had baked an Italian child. And he was like, I'm going to go home and tell Barbara, this has been such a great show. <laughs> no, you're not going to go home and tell Barbara. And shit, it was awesome. So in the last show, we were in Boston, which, as you know, what happened? We were in Boston, and uh, uh, Boston is uh, your, uh, you know, the, the city that's near you that, that uh, has this sort of one-way inferiority complex going on with you. <laughs> That no one in New York has ever done anything except go, oh, Boston, right. And everyone in Boston's like, ah! New York's so big! They let Negroes sit with them! Uh, I had a great time there, having just shat on them. But I suggested during that podcast, if you were listening at all, uh, now that I've danced around the stage like a gay, gay dancer, <laughs> that, uh, the, that the Aerosmith might be one of the great American rock bands of all time, if not the greatest. And I know they're from Boston, but I, I say that for a lot of reasons. Now, we talked about Lou Reed several weeks ago. Lou Reed is in another category altogether. That's speaking to a particular audience and a, and a very... Uh, informed uh, crowd as he said maybe people who don't read so much shouldn't listen to me but the point is this uh, uh, I, I, got a, I, I got a letter of course on my email and if you wish to email it's ma- a fanmail for greg at gmail.com if you wish to ask a question it's smartest at a special thing.com and good fucking luck on that one <laughs> this is from Manolo Manolo writes uh, how can Aerosmith be the great he, actually he doesn't even write that part I'll just read it the way he wrote it what do you call when there's three dots in a row an ellipse ellipsis. what was it ellipsis. 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 an ellipse yep. an ellipse ellipse ellipsis when they're not even the great Boston rock band the Pixies Greg the fucking Pixies <laughs> Thank you for creating uh, blah, 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 uh, and portraying a polyamorous unicorn. Best wishes. St. Squires Cast... Uh, Cy Squires Caston. Oh, that's from Cy Squires Caston. Sorry. In Cambridge, Mass. Do you have the Pixies, uh, Jeff? I realize I made you jump into the Barbara Streisand thing. But we're hoping for the Pixies. Now, I know they're not a New York group, but I want you to give this a chance. Open your hearts. Not that there's this weird...
Trump's, I think. Which album is this on Trump, Lloyd? It's Edge of a Cake. No, play that. Doesn't it sound... Is this heresy to say it sounds a little bit like Neil Young? If anyone remembers 70s Neil Young, that riff is a bit Neil Young to me. I don't know if I could... Here, turn it up here. I don't know if they're the greatest American band. They're pretty fucking good. I mean, Aerosmith cleaned up. And the Pixies sort of cleaned up. They did. They were awesome. I saw them a couple years ago, and they were one of the loudest groups I've ever fucking seen in my life. My ears hurt for four days. I had, what does Poe call it? Tintinabulation, right? Three days later, you're talking to someone, and all you can hear is... And I could hear every word uh, that uh, Black Francis said, every word, uh, over the cacophony of fucking the Pixies. So, all right, I'm going to give them a vote. Uh, greatest ever? I mean, the, the, the only reason I give Aerosmith the nod is because Aerosmith's lasted 455 years. I mean, when you start in the Cretaceous period when the earth was fucking covered, yeah. If you started gigging when there was a thing called Gondwandaland, and... All the continents were together in one piece, then maybe you deserve a little more credit than the fucking pixies. In any case, uh, here's where we're going to be playing soon. Um, we're, uh, there's t shirts available, they're, they're back again. I have two here tonight. I'm so very sorry that there's not more. I have a large ladies and an extra large ladies. They run a little small, but I'm so willing to. Here, here you go, my darling. Do you mind if I just chuck it out there? Thank you. I'll throw that one over there. Thank you. Uh, so sorry I only had two uh, Easy uh, <laughs> Next show uh, They're available at gregproofs.com and stuff And now we're going to have kittens And we're going to have the hoodies And we're going to have everything that we back uh, We're going to be uh, in London uh, On Monday And then again on uh, uh, Next Saturday at the 8th uh, at the Soho Theater, and then we'll be uh, in Cork, I mean Dublin, at the Sugar Club on the 9th of December. Then the 10th of December we'll be at Cypress Avenue in Cork, which I've never played before, and it should be quite a thrill uh, to meet the sound staff there. <laughs> so what is this you're doing here tonight, Craig? Uh, it's a podcast. And what would a podcast be then? <laughs> uh, who does this go out for? Uh, well, people all over the world. Well, I'm guessing that the Benelux countries are a bit hesitant on this one. Uh, then we'll be uh, December 22nd if you're in Los Angeles. And thank you for the person who gave me the films. We're going to be showing uh, What's Up, Doc, at the Cine Family for our Christmas movie. Wow, that just occurred to me. I talked about Barbara Streisand and now I'm showing What's Up, Doc. And then I'm going to be hosting the uh, Gay Gay New Year's pageant with Andy Dick and Kathy Griffin. <laughs> Anderson Cooper and I are pitching a tent in uh, Zuccotti Park. I've really got to get more macho during the football season. The 22nd, we'll be showing What's Up, Doc? with Ryan O'Neill. If you've never seen What's Up, Doc? It's so funny. It's a screwball comedy, but done in the 70s in the style of a 30s screwball comedy, a la uh, a Bringing Up Baby or uh, 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 Sullivan's Travels or one of those fantastic... Or it Happened One Night, one of those marvelous movies from the 30s. Um, Bogdanovich directed it. 
And it is, it is quite funny. Kenneth Mars is in it. Um, here's a line from it. Uh, a guy walks into the room with a g- guns and they're gangsters, clearly. And one guy goes, don't shoot, I'm half Italian. <laughs> so, uh-huh, oh yeah. Uh, the 28th and the 31st of December will be uh, at San Francisco at the Punchline, my beloved hometown. And on the 30th will be the podcast that night. We'll be at the Nerd Melt in Hollywood on the 7th of January uh, uh, in Hollywood's grooviest uh, comic book store. And uh, the 9th of January will be at Helium in Philadelphia, IA, uh, the city of brotherly love. Hello, podcast people. This is Greg Proops, your old pal, the Proopcaster. Audiobooks are for busy people who love reading. You can listen in your car. You can listen when you're walking around. You can listen at the gym. If you're concerned you don't have the proper setup to play Audible, don't be. Audible's compatible with iPhones, Windows phones, and all kinds of MP3 players. They have incredible whisper sync technology. You can listen to half a book on your iPod, switch over to your Kindle, and you never lose your place. Well... I do sometimes, but that's because of conditional circumstances. Audible has over 150,000 books to choose from, so you're guaranteed to find a book you love. Go to Audible now. You'll get the free special offer they're giving our listeners, a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. You want a recommendation? How about Caravaggio, A Life Sacred and Profane by Andrew Graham Dixon. Caravaggio is an author from the 17th century who carried a sword with him and brawled on the street. He hated all other painters, but he invented a cinematic style and perfected Chiara so when you look at his paintings, they're imaginative, moving, and almost, well, almost overwhelmingly passionate. So what are you waiting for? It's audiblepodcast.com slash smartest today to take advantage of the special offer. A free audiobook, a free 30-day trial with the URL audiblepodcast.com slash smartest. If you're not taking advantage of this awesome offer, you're going to have to look inside your soul and ask yourself some deep questions. Don't turn it down. It's a free trial and a free book. Word. Let's get to what's what and let's start the show. <laughs> what time did we start? Was it seven tonight? Yeah, seven. Kittens McTavish. Um, this is from Manolo. Oh, no, my wife sent me this. <laughs> Who's Manolo? <laughs> I don't know why you don't remember me. <laughs> I made you that blue pantsuit, but you never wore it. It had the darts in the back and the, the spangles on the front and the diamante collar. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Jose Canseco pulled over with fainting goats in his car. <laughs> Is the headline on the story. Jose Canseco was a baseball player, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about. Not only was he a baseball player, he went to three World Series, uh, won a ring with um, the Oaklands, and I'm almost certain won a ring with the Yankees. When it, when he, he won one with the, when he DH, right? 2000, maybe? I can't remember which year he DH, but he did DH with the Yankees one year. Uh, he also led the league one year in home runs and steals. Uh, was also a Rookie of the Year, MVP, Comeback Player of the Year, and also had a ball bounce off of his head in the outfield and go over the fence for a home run. <laughs> When he played for the Texas Rangers, he also did more steroids than any human alive. And much to Jose Canseco's credit, was the first player to admit he did more steroids than any other human being alive. He, he's discussed shooting Mark McGuire in the Butox in the Oakland Athletics Clubhouse with juices called the clear and the fun and the green. The names of the juices they shot each other with are like from a boy's own fucking Hardy Boys novel from 1935. <laughs> then I shot him with the get up and go, I say. <laughs> Then I gave him a bit of the that's all right, I said. 
That one's a bit foamy. Mmm. The aftertaste is vivid. Uh, Jose Canseco Goats by Victor, November 22nd. Disgraced ex-major league beat ball, ball, baseball star. Really disgraced? How about this? Honest. Um, okay, he's crazy. Okay, he's a little sleazy. Okay, he's a kook. Okay, he's never going to make it back into organized ball. He acts really outside the realm of human behavior. If you read his tweets, he's off the fucking deep end. He has a running gun battle with the Iron Sheik, ladies and gentlemen. That'll give you an idea of where Jose Canseco is coming from. If you see him in person, sit down. If you see him in person, go, please, go. He, he's, he's six foot four and absolutely fucking stunning. He's a, and I, I've never met him, but he seems like a nice person. We were driving by the coffee bean and tea leaf once in uh, uh, Beverly Hills. And my wife went, look. And I went, what? And my wife went, look. And I went, what? And my wife went, look. And I went, what? And she was like, will you look? And I'm like, because I'm a man. And she's like, Jose Canseco is waving. And I was like, well, I missed it! <laughs> I missed when he waved! So that was my Jose Canseco moment. <laughs> Evidently, he waved at me, but I was like, my penis and my ego are so important. I'm thinking about myself. Yeah, Jose Canseco waved at me. Didn't catch it. I wouldn't say he's disgraced. I would say that people who characterize other people as disgraced sports stars have some explaining to do about the achievements of their lives. Like, for instance, Victor, who wrote this article, did you ever win Rookie of the Year or MVP? Or steal 40 bases and hit over 40 home runs? Or fucking crash a fucking tater in the World Series? I don't think you fucking did. <laughs> you were cheating. You were cheating when you stole a fucking post-it note from the fucking cubicle you work in. <laughs> you bag of fuck. Marion Jones' uterus wouldn't give birth to you. Fucking A. Was pulled over by Nevada police who discovered a pair of fainting goats in the back of his car. All right. I really have no explanation for why. You've all heard of fainting goats. No, Greg, we haven't. Well, let me Jeff Corwin you to the, me to the message. Fainting goats are goats, but... When fainting goats are under duress, like say something horrible, you know, like say a fainting goat has to go to the DMV and stand in line or whatever. <laughs> or, right, a fainting goat has to take a blood test, whatever it is that makes fainting goats fucking freak. Uh, like, I know what it would be for you. Like, if you're like, oh my God, I, you know, oh, the fucking, I was waiting for the, this cab and this douchebag, uh, yuppie fucking asshole took it from me and shit. And then you'd be like, ooh. That's when a fainting goat would go. <laughs> Ergo their name. Canseco explained on Twitter, of course he did, darling. He wasn't exactly going to write a position paper. Although he's written two books, Juiced and what was the other one? Too Juiced or something? Oh yeah, I read his first book. It was good. Nothing compares with Dennis Rodman's first book, which is called Bad As I Wanna Be, which had capital letters. Sentences, whole sentences with capital letters. 
And then, what was it? Uh, one of the lines in it was, I broke my dick. <laughs> you, you, you guys, you can't, you can't break your dick. You can. It's fucking hard to. That's MVP effort. If that bug did not pay to get in, I want that bug ejected right now. Everyone pays. Fucking not. The cops couldn't stop laughing at his goats. <laughs> Say you're an officer of the peace. You pulled someone over. You recognize them even when you, when you get their car pulled over. And you look in the back, and there's two goats on the floor going, mm. Mira, mira, mira. Mm. Don't tell me not to live, just sitting. Uh. At least one of which seemed to be wearing a diaper. Okay. You know what? A lot of you might go, like, why would you put a diaper on a goat? If they're in your car, practical. As you know, goats are, they let it flow. It's horrible. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, the diaper isn't even properly fitted. There's a, there's a video. Apparently, he's shooting a documentary on them. What? Remember before when I was defending him? What do you mean you're shooting a documentary about fainting goats? Are you out of your GD mind? You don't, you don't, Jose, that's not your job. That's not your job. Your job is to be good looking and be on reality shows. And occasionally write a book that's real weird. As well as adopting them, which offers some sort of explanation, but raises even more questions, such as why Jose Canseco is shooting a documentary on fainting goats. I would certainly say that. Uh, I don't think there's any more pertinent question that we can ask ourselves after Thanksgiving and after Black Friday and before the holiday season begins in earnest and before we start to search our spiritual souls as the year uh, ending often requires us to do than to ask ourselves why Jose Canseco is shooting a documentary on Vinning Goats. <laughs> Let this be the pole that vaults you over the um, uh, personal uh, you know, uh, self-worth bar. Whatever you're doing in your life, you're not actually shooting a documentary on fanning goats right now. So think about the choices you're making and how strong they are. And how focused they are. And how, to you, you're like, I'm going to go into the new year fucking guns blazing and shit. Jose is going into the new year going, fucking, I got pulled over by the cops who laughed at my goat in a diaper. You have a decided advantage going into the next year. Um, and the end of the year can be so stressful. I know it is for me. Because you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, why didn't I do that when I was nine, you know, 33? Uh, but you mustn't, right? You must never uh, grieve and put your head in your hands. You must move on. Uh, as, Ho as Jose Canseco has done. Uh, whether it requires goats or whatever it takes in your neighborhood in Brooklyn. Uh, Wanda Coleman is uh, swirling in the stars tonight. Wanda Coleman was the poet laureate of Los Angeles. Uh, she passed after a long illness, uh, 67 years old. Um, she was raised in Watts, 
And she often wrote of issues of race, class, poverty, and disenfranchisement. Words seem inadequate in expressing the anger and outrage I feel at the persistent racism that permeates every aspect of black American life, she once said. Since words are what I am best at, I concern myself with this as an urban actuality as best I can. Despite the, thr- the driving theme of anger in her work, Coleman was a delightful presence, sharp, funny, and powerfully charismatic. Uh, she began writing as a young woman and was part of the Watts Writers Workshop that began after the 65 riots. She was also involved with the Beyond Baroque in Venice, which is an amazing place you can see poetry in still if you go to Los Angeles, California. We're not all shallow and show busy and medical marijuana all the time. <laughs> we take time out for poetry. And when you go to L.A., and I know this is true for those of you who go to L.A., you'll be astounded by the amount of smart people that you'll actually meet when you're there. Yeah, someone in the crowd. (laughs) No, we don't all have beards and hats like you guys. It's not cold. She won an Emmy for her work on Days of Our Lives and produced essays in short fiction, but she was primarily known as a poet, publishing a dozen poetry collections in her lifetime. Her first poetry collection, Mad Dog Black Lady in 79, was published by Black Sparrow Press, the home of Bukowski. Um, And I wanted to read you a little poem by by Wanda Coleman. Um, Because... L.A. has so few cultural markers. And the difference is, last night we were walking uh, around a neighbor, uh, in the village in New York, and there was a, a, a plaque for an artist. We went to a bar where Willie DeVille used to drink, and I asked the woman who worked in the bar, is there a picture of Willie? And she went, no, his, his, uh, his ex-wife took it out and shit. You know, people still, yeah, right? It's New York, so people remember shit. Um, in L.A., buildings get knocked down and there's no plaques, no statues, no nothing. We don't have history in L.A. because it interferes. <laughs> we have an Oscar program coming up and there's going to be ten movies that are equally great. <laughs> that are worthy of your consideration as best picture. Think about it, Brooklyn. But occasionally, uh, there are artists. There's loads of artists in L.A., and here's one of them. In that other fantasy where we live forever by Wanda Coleman, we were never caught. We partied the Southwest, smoked it from L.A. to El Dorado, worked odd jobs between delusions of escape, drunk on the admonitions of parents, parsons, and professors, driving faster than the road or law allowed, Our high-pitched laughter was heard, was young, heartless, and disrespected. Authority, we could be heard for miles in the night. The Grand Canyon of a new manhood, womanhood, discovered, like the first sighting of Mount Wilson. We rebelled against the southwestern wind. We got so naturally ripped, we sprouted wings, crashed parties on the moon, and howled at the earth. We lived off love. It was all we had to eat. When you split, you took all the wisdom and left me the worry. That's Wanda Coleman's poem. And I thank you. Tony Misani passed away. Tony Misani swirling in the heavens. Tony Misani was an actor who was on telly when I was in the high school. Uh, He was 77 years old. 
He made a career out of playing tough guys and bad and starred as a real-life Newark detective in the gritty 1970s ABC series Toma. Toma preceded Beretta. Toma was a detective who wore different costumes. I'm a nun. I'm a priest. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a homeless guy. I'm a chef. And he busted drug addicts on the street and shit like that. Um, he died Tuesday in Lenox Hill Hospital, blah, blah, blah. Playing a tough guy on either side of the law, Musanti also sparkled as one of two menacing hoodlums. Martin Sheen was the other, who terrorized innocent people on a New York subway car in the 67 thriller The Incident. Now, yeah, if anyone's seen The Incident, Martin Sheen and Tony Misani hassle everyone in a subway car, and there's a, a righteous black guy played by Brock Peters. There's a family guy who's with his family played by Ed McMahon from The Tonight Show. <laughs> oh, yes. There's a gay guy on the car, and uh, Tony Misani hits on him. It is a fucking wild movie. It's called The Incident, and you have to watch it. Because at the end, when they pull in, and after Tony Misani and Martin Sheen have tried to mug everyone on the street uh, subway car for an hour and a half, when they pull in, the subway police pour into the car and arrest Brock Peters, the black guy. It's a good movie. Uh, born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, Musani starred. He played a Mexican revolutionary in A Professional Gun, an American writer in Dario Argentis, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, for those of you who dig Dario Argento and the whole yellow uh, genre. We haven't shed one yet at the film club, but I'm sure we will. Bird with the Crystal Plumage is a real cracker. Um, he was uh, in the Grissom Gang, Eric Roberts, mob-connected uncle in The Pope of Greenwich Village, if you remember that movie. And he was in Oz uh, as well. Um, Tony Misani uh, starred opposite Susan Strasberg as Toma in Toma, which ran 73-74. Worked out of crime-ridden Newark and was a master of disguise. Some criticized the series, created by Roy Huggins of TV's Maverick, The Fugitive, and The Rockford Files for being too violent. Musanti did not want to commit another full season and quit after Toma was renewed. Uh, it was violent, and it had a bitchin' theme song, and he would uh, go through the bad streets of Newark in the 70s when every corner was a, a trash can with a fire in it. Uh, Tony Misani is uh, up in heaven right now, warming his hands with fingerless gloves and drinking a cup of disgraceful coffee. Yeah, with a bunch of other cops uh, up in the nether world. Um, let's see here. You probably heard about... Ah, this is from Feministing, and now the boring preachy part begins in earnest. Um, Congressman Trey Rattle, a Republican from Florida, was recently caught buying cocaine from an undercover cop in D.C. Um, you may have heard about this this week. It was on the interweb. Did you know he just voted to drug test food stamp users? Mm. The debate culminated in Raydell's vote for a bill that would have authorized states to withhold food stamps from applicants who didn't submit to a drug urinalysis. By the way, no one who works for the Pentagon and no one who works for any of the giant corporations in America submits to a drug test analysis before their pay is given to them. Florida Governor Rick Scott ended up in a disastrous waste of taxpayer money in a violation of impoverished welfare applicants' Fourth Amendment rights. Let's just go to the Fourth Amendment, since I happen to have it right here. Article 3, Article 4. Oh, oh, watch out. Watch out. Oh, 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 o
Full faith and credit shall be given each state to the public acts, records, and ju- judicial proceedings of every other state. And the Congress may, by general laws, proscribe the manner in which such acts, records, and proceedings shall be proved and the effect thereof. The citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. A person charged in any state with treason, felony, or other crime who shall flee from justice and be found in another state, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the point is that, uh, the second sentence, the privileges and immunities. There is no reason that people who receive food stamps should have to take a drug test in any way because it's not necessary, nor is there any fraud going on in that area. Much like voter fraud, there are two frauds in this country which you hear about uh, in perpetuity that simply do not take place, and they are voter fraud and, and food stamp fraud. If there is someone defrauding the government for food stamps, who gives a shit? <laughs> Um, The giant corporations are spending billions of dollars on arms and weapons and keeping the oil drilling going in every country and spying on us everlastingly and many things like that that require massive funding. I don't care if a couple of poor people are trying to rip off the fucking government. I really fucking don't. Congressman Radel thinks that if you're a wealthy white politician, it's cool to do all the drugs while making decisions that impact the material conditions of the entire country. But if you're just trying to get help, uh, food for your family, you can literally survive. You should be shit out of luck. And I uh, wanted to uh, touch on a word here. And, it, and I looked up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the word hypocrisy. And here it is. In, uh, in direct relation to Congressman Radel. One, the full definition of hypocrisy, a feigning to be one is not or to believe one does not, especially the false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion. You know, you hear it all the time and you see it all the time, but really this is a time when it's um, egregious and, and highly... Um, you know, it stands out uh, in the crowd. When you're going to do coke uh, and you insist that uh, people who are poor get drug tested before they get food stamps and shit, you're really kind of a D-bag. And uh, the whole moral righteousness thing wears real fucking thin. The treatment of addiction as behavior that should be punished is extremely frustrating and in diametric opposition to clinical evidence about what actually helps addicts recover. Addiction is a public health issue, and it should be treated as such. When it's not, it's usually low-income folks of color who suffer the most, clearly and always. It's never rich white guys who own corporations, and this is by Bayetti Flores, Um, uh, and I wanted to read you that. Pope Francis this week. Uh, Pope Francis had a big week this week. He's out of his mind, and I don't know what's going on. I think he watched the Back in Brooklyn special with me last night. Pope Francis, this is from The Guardian UK, has attacked unfettered capitalism as a new tyranny, urging global leaders to fight poverty and growing inequality in the first major work he has authored alone as pontiff. Really? Now, I don't sit around waiting for the Catholic Church to issue edicts and whatnot. Because I find they're a bit, uh, you know, they come later than I need them to. That I've already covered the ground that they're about to get to. But this Pope Francis, 
kooky most. I have a feeling there was a giant deal that went on with uh, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, or Pope uh, Ratzinger, uh, and he, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. The 84-page document, known as an apostolic exhortation, amounted to an official platform for his papacy. He called on rich people to share the wealth, just as the commandment, thou shalt not kill, sets a clear limit in order to safeguard the value of human life. Today, we also have to say, thou shalt not, to an economy of exclusion and inequality. Such an economy kills, Francis wrote in the document issued on Tuesday. How can it be that it is uh, not a news item when an elderly homeless person dies of exposure, but it is news when the stock market loses two points? Well done, Pope Francis. Now, of course, there's the other part. Where he said that women can't be, you know, uh, priests and that... uh, uh, all that. I prefer, yeah. He's been cool. So I wanted to read you a short item. In it, he reiterated earlier statements. The church cannot ordain women or accept abortion. The male-only priesthood, he said, is not a question open to discussion. Mm, that's because you're a male only. The BBC. Rome ancient frescoes reignite debate over women priests. And there's giant pictures of frescoes in Rome that were uncovered from the early Christian era. A major cleanup operation, which that five years has revealed the images in greater clarity. Uh, Women's groups say frescoes on the walls of the catacombs of Priscilla are evidence that women occupied the role of priests in ancient times. In so much as she's wearing a headdress and going like this, giving a benediction. (laughs) The Vatican has dismissed them as, quote, a fable, a legend. In another room known as the Greek Chapel, a group of women sit at a table with arms outstretched and celebrating a banquet. As long as the problems of the poor are not radically... Yeah. Uh, uh, That was the part that got me. A depiction of a deceased person now in paradise, says Fabrizio Bisconti of the Vatican's Archaeologici... (laughs) Archaeologici... Commission. (laughs) Said the fresco of the woman uh, was uh, a funeral banquet, not a priest. Mm. That's a little bit hard to accept. Um, in my opinion, obviously, there were women there at the beginning of Christianity. Otherwise, there would not have been Christianity. Uh, the fact that we're supposed to believe in a virgin birth and that uh, Mary Magdalene was there and that all of his apostles are men now. But clearly, at one point, there were women in the group and that they were excised at some point by men along the line. Um, I dig Francis, but Francis has to... Um, kick it a little in the doctrine area uh, and move along and hi my darling and include uh, uh, women in this entire thing Um, the idea that a religion based on um, rebirth doesn't include women seems a little hard for me to swallow Uh, there's Walmart well you know you've been reading about Walmart all week Evidently, they held a food drive uh, in Ohio at one of their stores for their own employees because the employees of Walmart um, fall uh, just below the poverty line. 
I want to read you what the uh, chief executives of Walmart make each year. The president and CEO, Michael T. Duke, makes $19,982,881 a year. We can go on and on because there's a huge list here. Uh, the executive vice president makes $9 million. His name is C. Douglas McMillan. Uh, we haven't found a woman yet. William S. Simon makes $11 million. Charles M. Hawley Jr. is the executive vice president and CFO. Van Roslyn Brewer, who's executive vice president, makes $14 million. You know, we hear a lot about the free market economy in this country and stuff like that. But there's an end to the free market economy that's revolting. And what it is is this. We are not slaves, and we don't have to work for slave labor. And I don't understand why uh, it's acceptable in this country that people who work at Walmart and that... Uh, should have to work for under the poverty wage uh, 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 as human beings and as uh, employees in a giant corporation, and that the heads of the corporation should make 19 million and 11 million and 14 million dollars a year. It seems a bit obscene to me in a medieval way. Um, Because I'm certain that the president and CEO and executive vice president, all the people who work for Walmart, consider themselves um, religious people. I would wonder if they would look into their hearts this holiday season uh, and not have to have a canned food drive for the people who work in their stores. That seems... Exactly. A little creepy. Uh, Let's do some questions, shall we? Uh, oh, no, one quick one more. I, I had to go to this. Kristen, Kristen Gillibrand, who is a senator here in New York, um, has been uh, adamant and uh, extremely vocal about what's been happening in, in the military with the sexual abuse against women. And she's found that there was tens of thousands, twenties of thousands of acts against women of sexual abuse every year in the military that have not been looked after, that have not been adjudicated, that have not been gone through the system. She tried to introduce uh, a new bill. Of course, that got shot down. And the Obama government, uh, you know, said that's a little too much and everything like that. Even though we're no now at this point, because there's so many women in the military, that this is a serious issue. And that, as I've said on the show a zillion times, the largest growing homeless population in this country is women uh, veterans. The Military Justice Improvement Act, introduced in May, has been aimed at its inception at doing something about the low prosecution rate of rape and assault cases. Now, uh, the other word I looked up here in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary was understate. (laughs) The low prosecution rate of rape and assault cases. Victim advocates attribute that to a criminal justice system that often puts the victim on trial and has allowed commanders to reduce sentences. There were 3,374 rape and sexual assault cases reported in 2012, although a Defense Department survey showed there could have been as many as 26,000 incidents. Of the reported cases, including the 3,374 I mentioned previously, 302 were brought to trial. So, the headline of this story, which we will go through again, the Military Justice Improvement Act, introduced in May, has been aimed since its inception at doing something about the low prosecution rate of rape and assault cases. Low doesn't begin to describe 300 out of 26,000. Shocking is the word. Um, Understate, transitive verb. To say that something is smaller or less important than it really is. Full definition. To represent as less than is the case. (laughs) 
Um, So, Kirsten Gillibrand has introduced this bill, the Military Justice Improvement Act, and she's been receiving what can only be described as a ration of shit uh, from all of the other senators, and from the Democratic senators as well. This is from Lindsey Graham, who's a Republican from South Carolina, and who you may be familiar with. Detractors like Lindsey Graham, another critic of Gillibrand's amendment, said her intensity is mixed with ambition. You can go too far in this business, Graham said. She re- she's really passionate. But now it's almost like a political prize. It's becoming a resume-building exercise is what I worry about. Really? You know what I worry about? The other 20... F- uh, I can't do addition. <laughs> 25,700 other cases that are not being dealt with is what I worry about, Rep- Senator Graham. I don't worry about her ambition at all. And you know what? If she has ambition, so what? That means she has a big swinging clit. That's what that fucking means. Like you wish you had, Senator Graham. Seriously. That's what you're fucking worried about? That she's trying to hitch her wagon to a star and that that star's sexual abuse in the military? You fucking suck. <laughs> sexual abuse is disgusting and has to be dealt with. There's a million cases of it. None of them are dealt with. That's what she's trying to do. The whole ambition thing is you trying to spin a fucking story so that the ugly, icky white guys who want to hear your fucking side of it can get all huffed up about it and shit. That's what that's about. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome, my darling. What women really think. My, my wife sent me this as well. An interview, this is, I think, from Slate. An interview with Texas abortion doctor who could no longer do his job by Amanda Robb. Um, She went and interviewed an abortion doctor in Texas. As you know, uh, the Supreme Court did not uh, show its mettle this week. Tuesday, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to block a new law in Texas that requires doctors who perform abortions to have admitting privileges at a local hospital, a measure that has caused at least a dozen clinics in the state to stop terminating pregnancies. Dr. Lester Minto owns and operates one of the affected clinics, Harlingen Reproductive Services. I spoke with him as he awaited. Are you closed? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, what do you tell them, the doctor? I do not do abortions. I cannot do them legally. And I tell them I know that there are other things that people do. Slate, what do other people do? If they have a passport and enough money, they go over the border to Mexico. This is Texas, which has 30 million people as, and is an enormous state and wouldn't even consider itself a state, would consider itself a republic attached to the United States because of their fierce independence. Um, what do women do if they don't have a passport? They buy a drug at a flea market. This is bad and sad and wrong. They're going to be buying things on the street. You don't even know if you're going to get the real thing. But these goddamn politicians, women are forced to crawl around like goddamn criminals. So I am here to help them. Slate, how do you help them? I give them a sonogram to make sure they are pregnant. And if they are pregnant, to make sure it is a uterine pregnancy, that they have no ectopic issues or anything, then I give them vitamins. If they decide to keep the pregnancy, you want it to be healthy. If they decide to do something... You don't want them to hemorrhage excessively. So women take a drug and blah, blah, blah. They stay close to home, and if it all works out, fine. But if they doesn't, if it works part way, they can come to me, and I can do miscarriage management. Uh, 
Slate, that's legal in Texas? Yes. Minto, this is Dr. Minto. Once a woman is vaginally hemorrhaging, it is legal for me to help her. What does that involve? The same thing as an abortion. It's just a change in words. It's double talk. It's bullshit. Slate, why don't you just get admitting privileges at a local hospital and comply with the new law? Dr. Minto, they won't have me. They are religiously affiliated. So, you know, Jesus. <laughs> That's what he says there. Uh, it's really beyond, beyond the comprehension of mortal mind and the comprehension of man that this can go on in 2013 in, in a giant state like Texas that has the economic power it does and that stands a presidential candidate every time we have a national election. Um, I, for one, um, I'm tired of reading these articles over and over again, but I also feel like it's wildly important because this was never read on the national news when Texas passed that law. And you have to know that um, sisters in Texas have to travel a long way and have to do illegal things to even get what is called health care for women. It's not a matter of committing a crime against you or humanity. It's a matter of what women have to do. Um, we should probably do a thing, right? And, and the crowd was quiet, yeah. Let me, let me read you one little thing. President Obama gave the nation's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, to 16 Americans in a ceremony at the White House on Wednesday. Uh, JFK started it. I, I just wanted to go through the uh, recipients of the Presidential Medals of Freedom. Ernie Banks. Uh, Mr. Cub, yeah. I met Ernie Banks on a plane once, as discussed earlier on the podcast. I said to my wife, Ernie Banks is on this plane. My wife said to me, you leave Ernie Banks alone. I hung up on her. I hung up on her, and I spoke to Ernie Banks. Ben Bradley. He was the editor of the Washington Post, and he broke the Watergate story. And he was the one who led the newspaper's coverage of Watergate, which forced President Nick, Richard Nixon from office. Brent Bradley got the, mes, uh, the Medal of Freedom. Uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow, Obama. And good for you. Clinton established the Clinton Foundation to improve global health, strengthen economies, promote health and wellness, and protect the environment. Daniel Inouye, who passed away. Daniel Inouye. Uh, oh, yeah, he did. Uh, he was Hawaiian, and he fought in World War II and, and was grievously wounded. Um, the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, he received the Medal of Honor. Uh, he was elected to the Hawaii Territorial House of Representatives before they were a state. And then he was a congressman and a senator. He also sat on the Watergate Committee um, and fantastically held up his uh, hand that didn't work anymore and went, I know a little something about sacrifice. Ooh. Fucking A. Uh, Daniel Kamen was a, a pioneer of psychology. He escaped the Nazis in World War II. He immigrated to Israel. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he applied cognitive psychology to economic analysis, and he won the Nobel Prize in 2002. Richard Luger, okay. Uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar and Mayor of Indianapolis. He serves as president of the Lugar Center. He was a senator for a good deal of time and ran for president. Loretta Lynn got the Medal of Freedom. Uh, Loretta Lynn was raised in a coal mine by Oaks and went on to be one of the great songwriters in American history. 
Uh, never mind all these things they give her in her thing there. If you've ever seen the movie Coal Miner's Daughter, uh, and you know who Loretta Lynn is. Uh, Loretta Lynn is one of the great country singer-songwriters of all time. Uh, Sally Ride. Sally Ride uh, was, uh, yeah, the first uh, lady astronaut in space. She was also a lesbian and avowedly out. And uh, uh, Ride also served in several administrations as an advisor on space exploration. And I have written after this, lesbian. Gloria Steinem. There's not a, I could do a whole show about Gloria Steinem. I really could. Um, first of all, uh, she's a stone fox. And second of all, uh, she spoke m- longer and more vehemently for women's rights than almost anyone I can think of in the United States. Uh, Ms. Magazine and all that. Um, she's an active voice, as they say here, uh, and, and it's long overdue that Gloria Steinem received a, a Congressional Medal of Freedom. There's a lot of other people. We're not going to go through all of them here. Uh, Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco received the Greg Proops Doc Ellis Badge of Merit. That's when you went from first to third when you were on amphetamines. Let's take some questions and then we'll fuck off into this good night here. Uh, You'll have to pitch up over there in that area. Uh, and if people will, I'll be happy to. Uh. Hi, Greg. Hi, what's your name? My name is George. Hi, George. And um, I was here uh, before when you were in Brooklyn and that elevated podcast. Thank you, brother. Um, my question before, like, to you was what you know about Josephine Baker. Oh, yeah. And, um, and I was woefully inadequate in that regard, as I recall. Yeah, but you did mention in a previous podcast that uh, she was the only in 1963, yes. And she wore a uniform and all her medals. Yeah. Um, my question to you is, uh, why don't we see more um, actors and actresses with more diversity in Hollywood like they used to be? In <laughs> <laughs> really? In a world where Seth Rogen is a star and shit, you're asking me that? <laughs> really? Reese Witherspoon is in movies and shit, and you're like, why isn't there more diversity and shit? Because Hollywood has no imagination and is scared to death to show diversity. 12 years as a slave and Django Unchained have them shaking in their fucking boots, ladies and Trust me on that. <laughs> You have to seek your own entertainment and make your own entertainment at all times. Hollywood's not going to provide any kind of mainstream. Believe me, after 12 years as a slave, there'll be no more mainstream Hollywood. Even if it wins Best Picture, there'll be no more mainstream movies about slavery in the next five. Well, all right, I'm crazy. But maybe, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, they has there been a movie about Latins that was a giant hit for the whole world and shit like that? Has there been a movie about Asians? Has there been a movie about women and shit? You know what I mean? I love the Fred Astaire's of the day. There's nobody like that now. What happened to that time? Well, you know, Show business broke to pieces. And when you're only counting on the greed and avarice of people to carry on making uh, uh, you know, uh, TV and movies and shit like that, you're not going to get a giant uh, you know, uh, bagatelle of taste. It's not going to be a rainbow of diversity of them seeking out every other form of entertainment and looking for the most gifted people in every area. You have to do that on your own. And that's why the internet... 
and the interweb and all of this has been invented is so that we can all weigh in and have our voice in the giant national dialogue. And we have to look for each other and support each other. That's how that works. Never look to anything that's... If you see a car driving in the night and it's got wet stuff on it and it's going through a tunnel and shit and there's weird music playing, that's not going to be something that supports diversity. If there's an oil company involved or beer is involved, there's not going to be a lot of diversity. There's going to be a token amount of diversity. We have to provide diversity, uh, I believe, he said. Thank you. How kind of you. What a wonderful question. Hi, Greg. Hi. Hi. My question is, um, if you could ever, um, if it were possible to be um, commemorated by a a, um, Dean Martin celebrity roast, who would you like to um, roast you? Well, I was going to say, the, the two things that guys just shelled out would be pretty close to my heart. Uh, I, I play a lot with Ryan Stiles because I'm in an improv group with him. And, uh, uh, him and him and Jeff Davis and Joel Murray and Chip Aston uh, know me better than uh, a lot of people do. And I think they would have quite a lot to say about how I act uh, and uh, how I act when I'm not in front of you guys. And uh, that might be a roast worth doing. Um, the, the, the usual Comedy Central one, no, nobody knows me there. Um, uh, I think Ryan Stiles would... Uh, and, and you know what? He'd be funny. Because he'd go like, um, so I'm fucking Greg in the ass, and we're in a gas station. <laughs> and, and when I wiped my dick on his dress, he got so fucking mad. <laughs> That's who I would say, first of all. I, I think roasts are hilarious, uh, but uh, I, I don't know. Are, do, do people like them? Yeah. Oh, you do like them? Okay. Then, yes, is the answer to that. I think Drew would have some funny shit to say. I called him Pinky the Whale once on stage, and he was so fucking mad at me. And I was so, I felt so fucking awful. I actually felt awful, and I never do. I called Claudia Schiffer a Nazi heifer, and I didn't... That made me feel good. I said she, I said she had a wall of formidable SS ivory. It's true. Yes, my precious. That's it? Thank you. Um, my question is, in a world where people are... In a world <laughs> where Jean-Claude Van Damme is overlooked for the Oscar year after year. I think your comment is better than mine, actually. In a world where people are chipping away at abortion rights and, you know, there is sexual assault in the military and people are still denying that there's a war on women, women, excuse me, Well, I think we are, and I think we're doing it right now. I mean, like, uh, I've been reading a lot uh, on the interweb lately, and I feel like uh, people are really uh, hipping uh, everyone to the jive that it's not going that well. And also, I think this next giant election that's coming up, the one after Obama, 
uh, I think that then you'll find that whoever appeals to women is going to be the winner of this election. And I hope it's a woman. Uh, because I just, I, 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 you know, the, the, uh, the time has come today, as they say. I, I, I just don't feel like, I feel like white guys are at the top of a, of a garbage mountain with their tiny dicks in their hands, sort of throwing the last few tin cans at everyone else, going, no, but the black people are scary, and it's over. It's over. Uh, is it over uh, in, in a power sense? No, they have all the fucking money. But uh, you may remember the last election when Obama won and shit like that. That scared them to death. To be honest, when John Kerry was popular for two months, that scared them to death. So any movement forward scares them to death. And, and, and I think that um, uh, when, when the time comes when, when women finally uh, get a little more say and there's not just uh, a quarter of them in, as in the representative bodies of this country, uh, when it's more than half, uh, that, that's when I think you'll find everything will fucking change. And, and that will be very soon. We hope. Is that too optimistic? What happened, baby? I have something for you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, a giant's flask. Thank you. The San Francisco Giants. It says collectible. <laughs> and so I shall. Is that a light bulb on it? Oh, no, it's a, it's a funnel. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you know you've been given a profound gift when it comes with a funnel. <laughs> because funnels only serve one purpose. To make booze go from a giant flow to a smaller flow. Into the neck of a tiny bottle that you can carry with you at all times. Thank you, my precious love. Hello. Hi, kittens. Hey, kitten. I'm Ruben. Hello. Hi, Ruben. Hey. Um, forgive me if this has been brought up before, but you did, between Whose Line Is It Anyway and Whose Line Is It Anyway, you did a little show called Rendezvous. Yes. And... <laughs> I called it the year of getting paid. Well, there's no Have you ever hoard up real hard? <laughs> Just hoard up. Oh, I like you. You're pretty. Oh, that feels good. So work that you're really proud of then? It wasn't the worst job I ever had. You know where we shot? Uh, stage 29 at Paramount. And Astaire and Rogers had 29, 30, and 31 all attached so they could dance through all of them. They had them open up next to each other. So I was pretty fucking excited about that, quite frankly. <laughs> to take it back to the day. Oh, fuck. I don't give a shit. They, you know, I don't know where it is. It's impossible to watch. It was on like 10, 12 years ago. Well, you mean like, is it on DVD or something? More like Laserdisc and shit, dude. More like Beta. Kinescope. Someone has it on 8-track, they said. 
I, I, I'm glad you liked it. It was fun doing. It was really fun. I had fun. I got to meet Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis. Yeah. Uh, 10, 10, 11 medals, I think. Yeah. Was he on a date? Was he on a date? No. He, but he had a sweater that had so much cologne on it. My wife, when I came home, went, what are you wearing? And I was like, Carl Lewis, Turbo Brute. This has been the smartest man in the world. You've been the smartest audience in the world. My name is Greg Brooks. I thank you very much. May every page that you turn be a satchel page. May every double inch be a satchel. A cool pop about. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. I wish you nothing but bonds. You have been amazing. 